Hey, good morning, Harbor Covenant. It is so good to be with you guys. Uh, if I have not had the chance of meeting you yet, my name is Jonathan. I'm the new student pastor here on South. And man, it's just to be so good together, even online. Uh, and I want to give a special shout out to our Bremerton campus. Uh, they are worshiping with us this morning, and we are so excited for you guys. And we just cannot wait to hear more about how your morning has gone. So thank you again for being with us. Uh, if you're joining in maybe for the first time or you've been with us for like this whole summer, then you might know that we've been going through the book of Ephesians. This whole summer, it's been all covering the book of Ephesians. Today and this morning, we're going to kind of finish off the last bit of chapter 6. But um, before we get too far into that, I want to share with you guys this, like, this story or this moment in my life that surprisingly has scarred me or at least stood with me much longer than I ever expected it to. Um, the two key components of this story is a sixth grade version of Johnny and a cigarette lighter, um, which, as any parent knows, is a recipe for not success um, and for probably some trauma and scars later down the road. But here's the setting. I am with my cousins. We're over at my aunt and uncle's house. We're having like a whole family gathering together. And me and my cousin realized that we had left something back in my place. And so uh, we decided to go back. And one of my aunts, uh, the cool aunt, decided she was going to drive us. Um, she liked driving us on little trips. She thought it was fun. She was the kind of aunt that at the end would like get us donuts on the way back. So we were hyped. The Lord decided to take us. So we were like, this is, this is going great. Uh, we're driving down. We're in this car. And I look and I notice that my aunt's car has one of those car cigarette lighters. You know, the ones that you push in and then it sits there for a little bit. Uh, and I had like seen these in movies. My parents didn't have these in their car. So I was like, oh my gosh, like, Laura, you have one of these. And I looked at her, I was like, does it, does it work? And she's like, oh yeah, like go ahead and try it out. Just like push it in and then wait. And I was like, I can do that. So push in the cigarette lighter, I waited. And I was like, how do you know when it's done? Like, how do you know, like kind of when it's ready? And she's like, it'll just pop out on its own. And then you just grab it. And I was like, all right, cool. It popped out. I grabbed it and I looked at it and my face fell. And I was like, ah. Like, Laura, like, your cigarette lighter, it's broken. Like, I, I'm so sorry to tell you. And she was like, no, like, Jonathan, like, it's, it's not broken. Like, it's not. And me, being a sixth grade boy who had seen TV and movies, uh, realized that in the movies, anytime you knew this thing was ready, the rings on the inside turned red. And I was looking at Laura's, and I was like, these rings aren't red. And so I told her, I was like, Laura, look, I'm sorry. Like, it's broken. They're not red. And everybody knows that if something is hot, it turns red. That is like just common science that the world has accepted, at least in my sixth grade mind it had. And so I, without any hesitation, without any bit of doubt, was just like, I'm going to prove it to her. So I go thumb the cigarette lighter immediately. And I don't know what about sixth grade Jonathan made me so confident in myself. Um, I think I've never been that confident ever since um, because I put my thumb to that lighter and I held it there for about a second or two and realized almost immediately, oh my gosh, this thing works and now my thumb is like on fire and I like throw the cigarette lighter, I grab it and just start screaming and like freaking out. My cousin's in the back just laughing his head off and my aunt's up front driving a car panicking because only thing that my mom is going to know is my son, Jonathan, hung out with Laura and he got burned. Like that's the only part of the story. So she's like panicking. I'm freaking out. Andrew's in the back laughing. 
Um, what I should also add is what made Laura so cool as an int is that she had a convertible. So tops down in California, the whole world can see that this sixth grader just burned himself on a cigarette lighter, like fully my fault and on purpose pretty much. And for a while, my thumb had the rings like engraved into it. Like it had burned so bad that it left a mark and it scarred for like years and years after. Um, but we get home and we get to my place and my aunt puts my thumb under some running water. We get some ice on it. Uh, we end up getting whatever we had left back there and we go back to my cousin's house. And when we get back, I got my thumb in ice and everyone's like, hey, like Jonathan, like what happened? Everyone's like concerned. And so, you know, I share this story and I'm starting to laugh about it. And it's like, ha ha ha, I burned myself, great. Um, but every time I take my thumb out of the ice, it still, it still hurt, like it was still in pain. So I just kept it on the ice. And then my uncle saw that I had ice and he immediately comes. He's like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm icing my thumb because I burned it. And he's like, no, you're not. And he took away my cup of ice. And I was like, Ken, what, 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 are, you, what are you doing? And he had this line that just stuck with me ever since. He's like, the world hurts, learn to deal with it. And I was like, um, wrong, incorrect. I'm a child, I'm in pain, like give me back my ice. And he wouldn't. And then I looked at my dad and I was like, dad, like, are you gonna, are you gonna help? Are you gonna get me some ice? Like, can I have ice? And he was like, you know, Jonathan, you gotta listen to your cousin or your uncle, he's right. And I was like, what is happening? Like, how, how did I get here? And because we were at Ken's home, uh, I could not get ice the rest of the day. So I was just left with this burned, throbbing, Thumb, and the only thing that I could think of or kept hearing is, man, the world hurts, deal with it. And I think that is so relevant for a lot of what we've been talking about, both in Ephesians and in the past couple of years. Like, the world hurts. Like, we live in a place that causes pain, where we are just at a loss, where things happen unexpectedly, and we are left wondering, ouch, why is this happening? And I think this is the kind of list or this is the kind of thing that we can think of much faster than we can think of other things. We can think of like, man, yeah, I lost my job. That hurts. I lost a family member. I, I experience racism when I go to the store. I experience like misogyny when I'm in the office. There are, there are criminals. There are um, reasons that we get hurt. You have natural disasters. Like we could go on and on and on and talk and make a list about all the things in the world that hurt us. This is not uncommon to who we are, and it's interesting about Ephesians because Paul is writing this letter. In the first half of the letter, he talks about the importance of the gospel and what it is and who Jesus is. And in the second half of the letter, he talks about how that gospel then changes the way I live. And all of it is kind of done around this assumption of like, you're going to have to live like this in a world that hurts, in a world that causes pain. And it's not here until chapter 6 that Paul really dives into that. And he really starts to unpack and address, like, what is this pain? How do we experience it? And what does it mean for us as followers of Jesus to live in that? And my hope for us tonight, this morning, as we get together and as we look at this passage, is that we're going to leave knowing or seeing that Jesus strengthens us in the midst of this pain and turmoil. That Jesus gives us strength so that we can keep standing strong in the midst of pain. And so if you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and open it up. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, you can go ahead and just scroll to verse 10. Um, as you're getting there, either on your phone or in a real Bible, let me just kind of give us a little bit of context first, uh, or at least just some reminders of what we've talked about. This church 
uh, the Ephesians is in a place called Ephesus. And Ephesus is like this central hub for Roman culture. Like Roman and Greco culture has filled this place to the brim. So there's a bunch of different gods. There's different expectations, different practices, different normal codes that the church is expected to follow. But they're also going to understand they're going to see Roman soldiers walking around. They're going to understand the significance of who they are and what they do and what that means. And they're also going to understand the significance of being pulled between trying to serve the emperor and trying to serve Jesus in that tension that is going to be there. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to be in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. And I'm going to read a lot, so just kind of bear with me as we go through this, and then we'll kind of go through just a specific few of these verses. But Paul says this, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the blessed breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of the salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains and pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, there is a lot happening here in this passage, and, and there's no way that we could cover it all. This would take many messages, many Sundays. And so today, I want to focus in on these first three verses, verses 10 through 12, and really kind of dive in and unpack what does this mean and what is Paul really talking about here. And so Paul starts, and he says this in verse 10. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Uh, another way of saying this is, be strengthened in the Lord. Like the, the tone is passive, which means Paul is not saying, hey, go work out really hard. Hey, keep up all the work. Uh, do everything perfectly. Build up your strength and endurance, and then you'll be strong in the Lord. And instead he's saying, no, no, no. Let the Lord strengthen you. Let this strength come from Jesus and flow into you. And I think, I think if you've been a part of the church, this is not new. Like, we've heard this, this is something we say, this is something we encourage people in to be strengthened in the Lord. But I want us to really pause and ask ourselves, is this what we practice? Are we allowing ourselves to be strengthened by the Lord in the midst of pain and hurt and turmoil? Because what I've noticed, and I want to be really clear, this isn't a bad thing, but what I've noticed is a lot of times when we're experiencing pain or fear of pain, a lot of our prayers come asking Jesus to heal things and to fix things and to remove things and to end things. And we want Jesus to do something now immediately that only he can do for the sake of ending the pain that we're in. And Jesus can do those things and he does do those things. And that's not saying that it's bad. But Paul here is saying, no, be strengthened 
in the Lord. And what would it look like in the midst of that pain, we asked for strength more than we asked for answers and solutions? Like, what if in the moments of, like, hopelessness, our prayers were not, Lord, that you would just do something that shows me that there's hope around, but just, Lord, would you strengthen my hope? Because it's all that I have right now. Or in moments of despair and sadness, our prayers are, Jesus, would you strengthen my joy so joy will overcome this despair and this sadness? Or in moments of, like, fear and anxiety, we would pray and we would ask, Jesus, would you strengthen my mind so that it focuses more on you than on the fears. Strength comes from the Lord, and so Paul is starting this way, and this is where our prayers need to originate as well. What would it look like as a community if we really asked Jesus to strengthen us and not just solve things for us? But Paul then moves on. He says this, he says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Right, so this is like a classic line, right? This is a passage and a verse maybe a lot of us have heard before talking about the full armor of God. And when we read through the whole passage, we looked at the individual, like Paul breaks it down, these individual pieces of God's armor. But there's a couple things or notes that I want to make about the significance or the importance of armor. Um, Of course, just to start off, like it is there for protection, right? If like we want to be protected from a world that hurts us, it starts by putting on this armor of God. It's for defense, it's to help us, it's to to strengthen us 100%. But what I think is interesting is that armor is also used to identify people. Like uh, the Ephesus, uh, the church in Ephesus, they would see Roman soldiers and they would know they're a Roman soldier. Why? Based off of the armor they were wearing. And they would be able to look and see, hey, I know a little bit more about you. I know what you believe. I know um, what you've done and I know what you're doing for me. And we see that today here, like in Gig Harbor. We see uh, people who serve in the army and the military and the navy, and they wear their uniforms. And we say, wow, like I know what you have sacrificed for me. I know what you've given up. I know that you have fought for my freedom. And we just want to give our thanks for everybody who has done that. These uniforms and these armor, they identify us. And the same thing is true of being wearing the armor of God. That in the midst of pain and hurt, that people could see, wow, there is a sense of hope in that person. Their feet seem ready still to preach good news. They have this faith that just seems to protect them from everything around them. They are fastened and held together by truth. Like, who are these people? Oh, those are the people who follow Jesus. Those are the identifying factors. This armor can identify us. And how powerful would it be if that's what Gig Harbor saw of Harbor Covenant in the midst of pain and turmoil? They just saw people standing firm, strengthened by their God, and it was an identifying factor of, oh man, that's, that's what the armor of God looks like. That's what it means. That's what they believe. When I was living uh, over in Spokane, if you hadn't heard, I lived in Spokane for a little bit, and I went to undergrad there, and um, I lived in a house with about five other guys, and two of these guys were talking, um, and somehow they got into the conversations of guns. Don't know how they got there. Don't know what happened. They were just talking about it. One was from Montana, um, and they were just talking about, hey, these are the guns that I used to own. These are the guns that I shoot. These are the guns that I like, and me, I'm like, I've never done anything with a gun. Like, I barely know what they look like, it feels like, and so I'm just, like, eating it up. I'm just listening to them talk, 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 and then I don't know like how it happened or what happened, but one of the guys, um, his name is Josh, uh, and he just said, oh yeah, and the shotgun is under the bed. 
And I was like, oh my God. I was like, Josh, I was like, do you have guns in this house like right now? And his face just drops and he stares at me like, like dead face. He's like, Jonathan, I swear if you're one of those Californians that's not comfortable living in a house with guns, I'm not getting rid of them. And I was like, whoa, dude, like hands up. Nope, not at all what I was saying. I was like, I've just like never held a gun or really seen one. I'm just more curious. And he was like, got hyped. He's like, oh yeah, dude, like, come on. And he takes me to the room and he had like the smallest bedroom out of our house. And he just starts pulling out all these different guns that he has just hidden around his bedroom. And I was like, oh my gosh, Josh. And he has like, you know, the guns are here and the ammunition's here. And then he starts like breaking it down for me. And he's like, hey, if somebody ever breaks in, like you should go grab this gun first and then grab the ammunition here and here are like the codes. And I was like, oh, no, 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 Josh. Um, nobody is safer if I have a gun. If somebody breaks in and you're not here, I don't go and grab anything. That is helpful for nobody. We are much better off me not having a gun. Um, and so he's kind of then talking me through like gun safety. And I'm like, dude, this is way too much for me to handle. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. But he starts talking about like the importance of like cleaning them and oiling them. And he has like them wrapped in like special like bags and, and cloths to help keep the dust and the elements out. And he kind of goes through all of this of so the importance of keeping his guns kind of well kept so that they work well. And I was like, man, this is such a beautiful picture also for the armor of God. Like, it's not like we put it on one time in the midst of pain, and then we're like, oh, I'm set. I got the shield of faith. I got my helmet of salvation. I'm ready. I'm good. I'm moving on. Never got to worry about that again. And it's like, no, like, we have to care for this armor. Oiling it and cleaning it and, and just talking about it or engaging in it. If we, as believers, only put the armor of God on when we need it, and we're not caring for it in the seasons where we don't feel under attack, then we're not going to have the strength that we can. And we're not going to have the protection that we need. This is something we need to care about. All these different elements of the armor of God are things that we need to be constantly engaging and praying and understanding in because it strengthens them for the moments of pain where we don't know if we're going to make it through or not, where our faith feels weak. That's where this armor comes in. So this armor of God is important. And then Paul says this, and he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And this verse, out of all the verses that I was reading on in this passage, this one hit me really hard the more that I thought about it, especially with where the church is today, where it is, feels divided, it feels like there's a lot of us against them, where it feels like people cannot find unity or agree on anything, like not just local churches, but the church as a whole, this is a thing. And then Paul says this super important line. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And another way of saying that is that our struggle or our enemies are not against people. Like, it's not against people who think differently, who act differently, who vote differently, who process differently. Like, when we struggle with our faith or we struggle with temptation, or we struggle with trying to be faithful, it is not because of another person. It's not because people think differently than we do. It's not because they act differently than we do. 
And so often we do this. We, we put the tensions of our faith and we blame it on the people who think or act differently than us. Or we, we personalize it against the people who think and act differently than us. And we make it a very personal thing that they have hurt us. And Paul's being so clear, our body and our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But our struggle is against the rulers and the authorities in the powers of this dark world, right? Rules uh, and power that oppresses people. And that's what our struggle is against. Uh, authorities that create unjust systems for people. That's what our power is. That's what our struggle is against. Uh, for people who feel belittled and oppressed, like this is where our struggle is. This is what is pushing back against the faith in Jesus Christ. It's not people. It's these different elements. It's these different people or these authorities at work and let's be very clear people can hurt us yes we can have struggles with people individually and there could be people who help create systems and oppress and belittle people and continue to to push others down yes i grit that but it has to come back to it when we look at the person our struggle is not with them our struggle is not with the individual our struggle is with the powers. Man, we, we see this all the time with Jesus. Oftentimes he comes into conflict um, with the Pharisees, this, this group of religious leaders who were over the Jewish people. And he does this really well. He talks to them about, hey, you Pharisees. A lot of times it is plural. A lot of times it's talking about this structure of power that the Pharisees have created, not just the Pharisee himself that he might be talking to. He always made time to meet with people. He always made time to hear and talk and love and care for people. That needs to be the sign of the church today. And pushing back and struggling against these powers and these authorities and this dark power. And then he gets into against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I'm going to be really honest with you guys. This is the part that I struggle with the most. Uh, when I struggle with it, I mean in the sense of I don't think about it. It's not something that crosses my mind. I could be in a season of pain and of doubt and of questions and I could go to people close to me and I could talk and then I could try to problem solve and think, okay, maybe it's because of this or that or maybe I'm overdoing this or maybe it's just fade in this way. And eventually, every single time this happens, somebody has to like, kind of like recenter me and be like, Jonathan, you might just be under spiritual attack. And every time I'm like, oh, pfft mind blown. Like, I kind of forget we have this spiritual side of the warfare that we're, we're engaging in every day. And yet it's something we can't afford to forget. It's something we can't afford to go against because these spiritual forces are going to come into all these different ways and try to get us to fight each other when in reality our enemy is not in flesh and blood, but it's this spiritual in these dark realms. You know, in the midst of this pain that we get from these different powers and authorities, my hope is that we find strength in Jesus in the midst of it. And that he is the one continuing to help us stand firm even when all these powers feel against us. Even when the hurt comes. And so the question then has to be, what does this mean for our community as Harbor Covenant? How do we do this? How do we really care or put on this full armor of God? And I think the first step that every one of us needs to take is we need to reflect. 
to really take a look at our armor and say, man, is it on? Is it not? Are there parts that I've forgotten about that I've missed? Are there parts that I, I roll my eyes on when I read that because I think it's stupid or I think it's foolish? Like, what are the parts of this armor that we're neglecting which could be causing us to feel weak in our faith or not feel strengthened in the Lord? What if you took some time this week just to reflect and really ask those questions? Hey, what, what am I feeling weak in? And then again, asking, hey, where can I be strengthened in? Not where can I get the fix, but where can the Lord strengthen me in this? And then the second thing that I would encourage all of us to do, and this is something I think I've said on almost every time I'm up here on stage or on these videos, but what would you do? Like, how much better would it be if you joined a small group this week? Where if we really want to engage in the full armor of God and we want to understand it and we want to know that we're putting it on well and right and we want to know that we're making it a priority that Jesus is truly being our strength then it comes from being in a group of people. God is not calling individual soldiers to do individual things. He is calling the church to be an army for his gospel, for his good news and we need to do that together. So what would it look like if you're not a part of a small group to join one? Or if you are not part of a small group and you haven't gone in a couple weeks, what would it look like to make this the priority now going forward? Because we need, we need to do this together. Yeah, because I was just thinking, this past couple years and even just this past generation, there have just been so many moments of pain and hurt that have been like on a world scale that have just been huge, that has affected everybody. And everybody has felt the pain and what if in the next time it happens, like Gig Harbor just saw the community of Harbor Covenant being able to stand firm with these shields of faith and this confidence and truth and this readiness of their feet. And there everybody was asking, why? Like, what is happening? Why are you guys so strong and firm? Why are you not crumbling under the weight of this pain and this fear? And we just got to respond with, ah, because Jesus gave us this armor for this moment. You should come put it on. You should come be a part of this community because Jesus wants to protect you as well. This is the heart and the goal of the church. This is what we get to be, Harbor Covenant, as the church in Gig Harbor. And so I have a couple questions that I want to ask, and I'm going to give you guys a couple of moments to think on them before I close us in prayers this morning. The first question is, uh, where do you need to be strengthened by the Lord? Where do you need the strength? Where might you be asking for a solution and this week you can ask for strength? Now the second question is, how have you seen Harbor Covenant help others be strengthened in the Lord? Like let's just encourage each other. How has Harbor Covenant done well at this? How have we lifted people up who are in moments of pain or in turmoil and we were able to help bring them back to Jesus to be strengthened? And my last question is this, what part of God's armor does your small group need to focus on this week? Like the next time you meet, what's a piece of the armor that you guys could focus on and say, hey, as a group, we're really going to dive into this and try to understand it, and we're going to encourage each other to have this piece of armor on. So go ahead and take some moment to think, and then I'll close us in prayer. Jesus, 
God, thank you. Lord, just thank you for the book of Ephesians and the way that you just have moved in our community through it. Thank you for Paul for writing this letter. Um, and God, the way that you just have kept it for nearly 2,000 years, you have kept this letter in the lives of your people. Thank you for the ways that it encourages us and gives us hope and gives us understanding and gives us knowledge of who you are. And Jesus, I just pray a blessing over everybody who is worshiping with us this morning that you would just fully and, and, uh, and only the way that you came, Jesus, strengthen them. God, that you would just give them strength that they didn't know that they had. And when they wonder where is all this strength coming from, would they give the praise back to you? Because God, you do this and you can and you will. And so Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we love you. I pray all this in your good and holy name, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Amen.